Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This is Season 3, Session 2. Now, today we've had a fantastic Maternity and Midwifery Festival, which is going to be available to everybody when you're ready to access it. And we wanted to just give you some edited highlights or two edited highlights from today. So we've got, first of all, Jacqueline, Professor Jacqueline Dunkley-Bent, our Chief Midwife Advisor, who's going to be talking about midwives, maternity and COVID-19. And then we've got Pat Shan and David Green talking about hepatitis B, antenatal screening and immunisation. So I hope you're going to enjoy the session and I hope you access some more of the festival because there's some delicious things as well as these highlights. I'm so pleased that Professor Jackie Dunkley-Bent, our Chief Midwifery Officer for England, is able to be with us. And I know her time is very pressured because she's she. we've all been talking about women and midwives juggling things. Well, Jackie is juggling just about everything and doing brilliantly for us. And I just want to say I'm so pleased that we have a Chief Midwifery Officer. So I'm, I'm just going to give edited highlights of Jackie's um CV because it's available online and I want and I know you will want to hear more of Jacqueline speaking not me so if I just say Professor Jacqueline Dunkley-Bent OBE Chief Midwifery Officer NHS England she's got vast experience in healthcare provision she's been just about everything in midwifery from clinical midwife to midwifery manager to midwifery educator to professor consultant midwife um, and now here she is here and uh, also curriculum leader. I didn't pick, didn't pick that up, I apologise. And her experience has seen her leading and influencing national maternity standards and guidance. She also influences healthcare nationally and internationally through education and public publications and is frequently invited to speak at national and international conferences. I would also say she's influenced the fact that in many countries now, People are realising actually midwifery is important and we need a chief midwifery officer. So she's responsible for that too. So she has so many awards and uh, her BME Pioneers Award, HSG Award, and has been on the NHS, NHS Nursing Times Leadership 2015 list celebrating nurse and midwives who are pioneers. She is our pioneer. So welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for joining us. And the screen is all yours. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Sue. And um, also uh, to Neil Stewart et al for this amazing conference. And one of the benefits, I think, of, of a platform like this is that if you are busy clinically or if you can't watch or listen or engage um, real time, you can do this at other times. So that is fabulous for such a time as this. So delighted to be with you all, albeit virtually um, on the screen. Uh, my name is Jacqueline Dunkley-Bent. I'm the Chief Midwifery Officer for the NHS in England. And as I say, delighted to be with you. Um, so we're going to go on to the next slide. And so we have, uh, we have and we still have many plans, of course we do, and every time we plan, be that for work, be that for a social occasion, when we're planning, 
we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after. We can make really great plans, line all the docks up in a row, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And that's what we did with Better Births, as you can see. We're four years, we're five years into a five-year program. We were four years into a five-year program when the pandemic started the NHS long-term plan, the people plan, and so many other initiatives and plans, working with phenomenal partners. And you can see all the partners there working hand in hand, keeping our finger on the right pulse. And the right pulse was the pulse of women and their families, women, babies, and their families. That's where the heart of everything that we wanted to do, that I want to do as the Chief Midwifery Officer for England. And my ambitions, and my ambitions remain um, very clear, ambitions to strengthen leadership of our amazing profession, perceptions of midwifery, so changing the perceptions of midwifery so that people know, the public know, uh, women know, and indeed we're reminded of the fact that if you have a midwife, you improve outcomes for mums and babies. And, uh, and so my ambitions go on, leadership, perceptions of midwifery, and ultimately the foundational principles are England, to be one of the safest places in the world to be pregnant, birth and transition into parenthood. So all these amazing documents and more, because I'm thinking about our other partners, um, that was and continues to be the ambition supported by my ambitions as Chief Midwifery Officer. They were the plans. However, on the 30th of January, all our lives started to change and the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus um, outbreak a public emergency of international concern and more significantly for us on the 11th of March um, a pandemic and our lives continue to be changed and our plans have to be refreshed and refocused, repurposed, um, and delayed somewhat. Um, so it, it, I, I just wanted to share with you a little bit about the best made plans and the pandemic. And you, more than anyone, is feeling that at the moment, wherever you are, wherever you happen to be, be that in clinical practice, education, research, leadership, management, strategy, policy, um, you know, consultant, whatever you're doing at this time, we are at a time that is totally uncharted territory. I work clinically myself, as many of you know. I've now moved my clinical base up to the Rosie in Cambridge, and I frequent that service um, uh, fortnightly. And I too have been in PPE, supporting women to have the best experience, because that's what we do as midwives, regardless of the context. So I'm going to move to the next slide. And I've actually had conversations with uh, midwives in recent time, well, over the last um, nine months, uh, seeking views, listening to experiences, receiving emails, direct messages on Twitter, um, LinkedIn, WhatsApp, Viber, ordinary message. And the, the key concerns and the key words spoken by midwives at this time, at this time, 
are. And you can see there for yourself that the larger the font, the more frequently the, um, the words were cited. So I've probably spoken to about um, 1,900 uh, midwives in total, uh, just seeking their views at different times. And it, it's, it's really quite difficult to embrace that burdened stands out at this very time in the middle of the pandemic. The question was, how are you feeling at this time? How are you feeling at this time? And the key uh, words, burdened, exposed, I would say, are the more and, and vulnerable, I think, anxious, depressed, lesser so. Um, we have an optimistic um, uh, uh, reference there, but nonetheless, we cannot ignore these, um, th these key experiences. And what I'd like to say to you is a big thank you for continuing at pace within this um, uh, um, uh, uncharted uh, territory to continue to provide the best care for mums and babies. I, my mantra that was handed down to me is to be my best, do my best and always do what's right. And I'm leaving that with you, um, despite your feelings of anxiousness, be feeling burdened, exposed. Thank you for being your best doing your best and always doing what's right. And remember that you have professional midwifery advocates and others who can support you in this journey. So just wanted to say that in the first instance, before we move on to what has the impact of this time um, done for, um, uh, what is the impact on women uh, what's the impact on babies? And indeed, what is the impact on our maternity services? And so if I go back at the start of the pandemic, um, if, if we think about how women and uh, their families were feeling, we have anecdotal evidence that tells us that women were fearful of engaging with maternity services. They were fearful because uh, they didn't, they wondered how uh, if they would uh, uh, catch uh, COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus, uh, what the significance of that would be. Were hospitals places that were unsafe? Uh, were their communities more influential in how they engaged? We saw um, uh, many women choosing not to engage uh, when their intuition would normally tell them to come into hospital. So we had many people not engaging with maternity services, DNAs increased, uh, women engaged um, when uh, there was compromise with themselves or their babies instead of engaging in a more timely way. And people were generally scared. Uh, the impact on maternity staff, we had, you've seen the previous slide of people feeling fearful, uh, burdened, anxious, um, unprotected. We had challenges with PPE at the start of the pandemic. We had huge challenges and experiences from Black, Asian and minority ethnic staff that told us that they felt even more vulnerable because of the disparity in death rates uh, from COVID-19 amongst the Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities and staff feeling fearful for themselves and indeed their families and their loved ones that they would go home to. So there were many, many challenges about PPE, about um, uh, test fitting, about appropriate um, uh, uh, PPE 
guidance and I could go on. You've felt it, you've breathed it, you've lived it, you know it. These were some of the real challenges. Also with our staff, uh, we, we estimated that maybe 30% of staff may be away at any time, either shielding, um, uh, being taken away uh, from services because of track and trace, or indeed ill with COVID themselves or caring for loved ones with COVID. So again, the staffing challenges uh, uh, played a huge part in how we delivered maternity services. And suffice to say, service alterations were really significant at the peak of the pandemic. Our uh, amazing directors and heads of midwifery who were doing a phenomenal job, their deputies, their matrons and their other leaders working at pace to try and ensure that we could maintain safe services for all and to do that, to maintain safe services for everyone, they had to then consider how they uh, uh, could provide that by, some had to unfortunately, uh, suspend uh, home birth services, uh, suspend um, uh, services within freestanding maternity units so that we could, they could pull uh, midwifery staff so that everybody could be kept safe at a really challenging time. So we have much data about suspensions, about services and indeed concerns and complaints from women and their families about their choice offer being reduced. I won't share the data at the moment, that will come in later times, but that's just a little bit of a, um, a national picture for you in terms of how COVID did impact and continues to impact on women, babies, their families, maternity staff and indeed how we provide our maternity services. So moving on to the next slide, we're also guided by data. It's really important at this time that um, we have evidence um, and data, intelligence-led data that helps us to know the size of the problem so that we can fine tune um, our interventions and initiatives to meet the needs of women and their families, because this is what we are all about. So the UCOS study, which uh, was absolutely phenomenal um, in their work to produce these data. So I'm only sharing with you published accounts. Of course, we've got data um, that tells a different story to what's on the slide. Um, uh, the, the data uh, now is very different to what's on the slide, but I can only share with you at the moment published data. So they considered the outcomes of pregnant women and their babies admitted to hospital. And the, the time frame is between the 1st of March and the 14th of April. So you can clearly see that things would have changed um, since then. But nonetheless, at that time, 427 pregnant women were admitted to hospital. And you can see the rate there. And that this at the time was the largest population-based cohort of pregnant women had admitted to hospital with COVID-19. We'll move on to the next slide. And, you know, in relation to mothers, what was the impact on, on, on mothers um, who experienced uh, 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 COVID-19? And uh, just a point of note, because um, again, thinking about intelligence-led data, a point of note, what is meaningful right now to mums and babies and to you? For mums that are fearful about using our maternity services, key point, 
pregnant women are at no greater risk of severe illness from COVID-19 than the non-pregnant population. That's really um, a, a, a significant point um, to raise. Pregnancy is not associated with increased mortality, um, unlike flu. We know uh, the data in relation to uh, population that die from flu every single year also of significance that I'd like to point out to you. you many of you know this already, but it's a, a point worth re-emphasizing. 55% of pregnant women admitted to hospital with coronavirus were from a black, Asian and minority ethnic background. If you are black, you are eight times more likely to be in hospital with COVID-19. And I'm speaking in the past, this is now current to Asian women four times more likely to be in hospital with COVID-19. So you can see why the anxiety and the fears presented themselves from women, but also from Black, Asian and minority ethnic um, uh, staff. And so there is something about um, a higher risk of severe disease uh, given uh, infection among vulnerable groups. There is also something about the comorbidities which we know of anyway. So moving on to um, the next slide. In relation to babies, UCOS told us a little bit about the morbidity and mortality associated with uh, babies that uh, were COVID positive. In, an interesting point of note is that 74% of women gave birth at term despite having COVID and um, the transmission of COVID-19 to infants was uncommon. Nonetheless, we have mortality data and that has increased um, as the months have gone on, but I can't share that data with you just yet. So we have an impact of COVID um, on mums, pregnant mums, and also on babies. And suffice to say, I should have mentioned um, in the, um, when I was speaking about staff, about you, about your colleagues, your friends, about all healthcare workers, we have lost healthcare workers to coronavirus. And for every single one of those, and in particular, obstetricians and midwives who have lost their lives to COVID, we stand here united, together, still pushing forward, protecting ourselves, supporting ourselves to do the best that we can for mums and babies. Maternity is an emergency service, so we can't turn the lights off and close the doors. We are 24-7 and we will continue to be that. So for everyone that's lost, that have lost their lives, to COVID-19, we stand in solidarity, pushing forward, supporting each other to do what's right for mums and babies. Next slide, please. In relation to data, we also have the Embrace UK um, rapid report findings, also published data, because I can't share with you um, uh, the unpublished, but also published data between March and May. And again, uh, uh, Embrace UK rapid report emphasised that pregnant and postpartum Partum women do not appear to be at higher risk of severe COVID-19 than non-pregnant women. And again, uh, sadly, of the 10 women recorded at this time, so look at the date, you can see the date, uh, recorded at this time who died with a COVID-19 diagnosis, eight of them uh, uh, died as a result of this. Sorry, seven of the eight were from a black Asian minority ethnic background. That's the point I'm trying to make. So again, there is a disparity and inequality in outcomes 
for women who experience COVID. And that will resonate with some of you when we think about previous Embrace findings regarding uh, mortality for Black, Asian and minority ethnic mums. I don't need to rehearse that back to you. The five times more likely, um, I think, is in the heart and minds of everybody that is providing maternity services at the moment. So moving on to findings two um, from the um, Embrace Rapid Report. Uh, there are key mitigation actions Embrace refer to. So the, the need for senior obstetric review, um, the need for MDT, um, uh, a review on a daily basis, perinatal mental health is so significant. We know that the calls and, uh, to domestic violence services, um, hotlines um, have increased and continue to increase. So the, the perinatal mental health space, keeping people safe is really significant at this time and will continue to be as we ride this storm. So key interventions, we're already familiar with the social distancing, um, etc. And also the advice to stay at home we believe and Embrace believes was overemphasized. Um, and I've shared with you the impact of that in relation to what women did with that information. So moving on to the next slide. So what did we do at NHS England Improvement with um, feedback from your heads, directs of midwifery, matrons, leaders across England? What did we do? We co-produced communications for women and families. And um, there's a whole Help Us to Help You campaign. There are um, coronavirus leaflets in 11 different languages. There's a film, there's animations. We teamed up with uh, uh, Best Beginnings to re-emphasize um, some of their key messages. And in recent times, well, I would say in the last three months, uh, Matthew Jolly, who's the National Clinical Director, the doctor half of me, wrote out, Matthew and I wrote out to maternity providers and asked them specifically to focus on four key interventions for black, Asian and minority ethnic women. No longer can we look at these data and be immobilised. So whilst we've got um, many initiatives about uh, uh, reducing inequality in health outcome, we've got two years of information and intervention. Um, this particularly is in the COVID space, the so four key actions, and, and you can see them for yourselves, but there is something about um, lowering the threshold to admit and refer um, to multidisciplinary teams for black, Asian and minority ethnic women that present with symptoms. Let's not explain away symptoms to your pregnant. Let's think about this intelligibly, let's listen to what the evidence is telling us and let's refer on. Um, also, um, communication that is tailored to meet the needs of Asian mums, minority ethnic groups, um, uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged groups, black women. Also, the vitamin D conversation must be had. And um, so midwives are in, a, in an optimum position to have that conversation about vit potential vitamin D deficiency, particularly for women that are non-white or cover themselves um, uh, because of religious reasons or other reasons when they're, when they're outside um, uh, in sunlight or long sunlight, as, as, as I would say, but in, the, in um, out exposed. There is something about having a conversation about vitamin D 
deficiency and also accurate recording. I mentioned that data is significant and intelligence-led data is even more significant to help us to be very specific and focused with our interventions. So moving on to the next slide. We also worked really hard with our um, uh, 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 websites and uh, embraced some of the initiatives from Embrace in terms of the red flags, um, messages call your midwife or your maternity team immediately. If we work, we have worked with the RCOG and the RCM who have produced um, uh, uh, guidance at pace week on week to help us, you, our services keep abreast of keeping everybody safe at this challenging time. Also, um, organisations like Five Times More Likely, Chloe and Tanuke, who have done a phenomenal job engaging with women so that we can understand um, where they are, step into the context of where they are so that we can be more purposeful with our interventions so that they can engage appropriately and timely with maternity services. Next slide, more of, of, of the same um, information co-produced with parents um, you know, on my Twitter um, uh, uh, feed at the moment, I've pinned a video of um, uh, encouraging pregnant mums to engage. It's a tiny video, but nonetheless, it's quite significant. And that will remain pinned until we see our way through uh, this pandemic. Next slide. So, so in summary, um, you know, I can't overemphasize this. Pregnant women are at no greater risk of severe illness. That said, I have to say with this uh, new variant, we are seeing increasing numbers of pregnant women um, uh, um, who have become ill as a result of COVID-19. So uh, this is um, legacy data. These data that I'm sharing with you are from er the earlier part of the pandemic. Um, so we, we, we can't be complacent. Um, uh, but there are other things that we need to do. All the things in relation to social distancing, PPE, education, advice, encouraging women to engage and also supporting each other to keep safe so that we can keep our maternity services safe. In relation to all those plans I mentioned right at the start of the presentation, better birth, the long-term plan, all those things, they will be linked into the recovery plan, but we can't recover our plans until we see our way through this pandemic. And that requires you, that requires us, that requires me to stand united together, supporting each other. As I've said, I'm out on the front line, not as regularly because I have the day job. My deputies are out on the front line. The chief midwives, we have seven chief midwives across England, one per region. They are doing a phenomenal job. So there are seven of them. There are two deputy chief midwifery officers and, and myself. And we are working with you. We stand in solidarity with you and we engage in the clinical picture. We put ourselves working alongside with you clinically because it's significant for us to be able to then, when we step into our day jobs, lead with authenticity. So on to the next slide. I think it's really, really important to have a moment of reflection, even when we are moving at pace, even when we are exceptionally challenged. Um, I think it's important 
um, to reflect. And if I may, um, there are many quotes, aren't there? There are so many famous quotes and, and, and quotes that people use all the time. But the one that has sat with me for the last few months is this one. It's Kamala Harris. And my date, she says, my daily challenge to myself is to be part of the solution, to be a joyful warrior in the battle for the soul of the country. My challenge to you is to join that effort. Let's not throw up our hands when it's time to roll up our sleeves because years from now, this moment will have passed and our children, our grandchildren will ask us, where were you when the stakes were so high? They will ask us what it was like. I don't want us to just tell them how we felt I want to tell them what we did. And in this COVID space today, as midwives, uh, maternity support workers, professions allied to medicine, obstetricians, neonatologists, anaesthetists, and everybody that supports our maternity services to be the best that they can be, our academics, our researchers, policy strategy, uh, Neil Stewart, Sue McDonald, all of us, all of us together, what are we doing in this space? Now, we might not be battling for the soul of our country, but certainly there is something about, are we throwing up our hands um, and complaining? <laughs> or are we rolling up our sleeves and sorting this issue out, being the best that we can be, riding this storm? I know things change on a daily basis, but what we can do is be our best, do our best and always do what's right. And from where I'm standing, looking um, uh, at England um, in its entirety, looking at each maternity services and um, the work that is being undertaken at pace, at speed, people pulling things out of the bag. Um, I think from where I'm sitting, you are, we are, being our best, doing our best. And I believe that we will always do what's right for mums, babies and their families. Next slide. So just want to say thank you for who you are and for all that you are doing right now. We don't underestimate the challenges. Of course we don't. But I know you've had a great day today. Um, Sue reminded me that I had a hard act to follow and that was somebody called Molly who was speaking about um, a pelvic floor. Um, that is one of my um, uh, uh, pet subjects. Uh, when I was in education, I, I, I put um, my students through their paces in relation to pelvic floor, pelvic floor exercises, perineal repair, etc. So I know you've had a good day, not just from Molly, but from other speakers as well. And I hope that you can take valuable insights from today. And if you're listening tonight or if you're listening next week or next month, take valuable insights from the speakers from today and share the word, share the positive messages with your colleagues, because in these dark times, in these challenging times, everybody needs a green shoot and a pearl of wisdom. And you can do that for your colleagues once you've listened to today, if you're not listening now, for those that have listened throughout the whole day, take those green shoots back 
to your colleagues. So thank you very much. And um, we are in this together. We stand united together. So thank you very much and have a good evening. Thank you, Jackie. As always, a wonderful sort of um, a huge, well, it's a huge run up of all the work that's been going on. And um, I've been very conscious of when you were talking about things that midwives have been doing over the last few months when we've done our maternity hour and some of the heads of midwifery and the educationists have shared what they've been doing. It, I think midwives have risen magnificently to do so many flexible and innovative things. I guess that's what we need to hold on to now and feel the teamwork and the togetherness that we have as a profession to support mothers and their babies and the families, obviously, whole, whole lot together. So thank you so much for making the time to be here. I know you're incredibly busy and I should think at the moment you're on little roller skates to go to the next activity in your diary so many many thanks Jackie and we'll look forward to welcoming you back at maybe when things are settled a little bit I don't dare almost don't dare say that but thank you so much thank you thank okay. you very much our next session is um, the hepatitis B antenatal screening and selective neonatal immunization quality improvement project, improving the quality of care of women with hepatitis B in pregnancy and their babies. And I'm delighted to, we have a double act again. This is the day of double acts. And we have Pat Shan, who is a clinical advisor to the infectious diseases screening program and currently project lead for the hepatitis antenatal screening and selective neonatal project and working in close collaboration with the PHE immunization team and PHE virus reference department in Collindale. And she's had huge experiences in all areas of midwifery. So she is a midwife and before she became a screening specialist midwife for 15 years. So very skilled in anything of this nature. Um, and she's uh, won the Royal College of Midwives Team of the Year for the work in promoting screening as a public health issue in her unit. So that's fantastic. And alongside Pat is David Green, who's, who's known to many of the audience, I'm sure, who is a nurse consultant for immunizations with PHE's National Immunization Team, with particular focus on improving immunization uptake in pregnancy. Um, the education of, of healthcare professionals in immunization, vaccine incident man management, and the development of patient group directions for immunization programs. This sounds like a real juggling job, David. Um, and he's, his um, dissertation for an MPH at the University of Leeds was a dissertation on the efficacy of pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccines in the elderly. So a whole range of experience you have set before you. So welcome to Pat and David. I have to say now the screen is yours. Welcome. Uh, hello everybody. My name is, I'm Pat Shan, um, as uh, introduced by Sue. Um, I'm the clinical advisor and I was project lead on this, the hepatitis B. Uh, it's a great big long title, but basically it was a very uh, collaborative project between ourselves and PHE to look at this pathway. Um, so I thought I'd start by just checking out really about um, the understanding of hepatitis B 
um, you know, that it is a potentially life-threatening liver infection caused by the hepatitis B virus. And it is a major public health problem. We've used this slide in many, many um, presentations over the last two years of the project because it just demonstrates the um, hepatitis and what it's doing in the world, whereas everything else is on the way down, HIV, malaria and TB, good old hepatitis is quite firmly on the way up. So um, it causes chronic infection and puts people at very high risk of death from cirrhosis and liver cancer. And the likelihood is that as that, inf that infection becomes chronic, depending on the age in which the person becomes infected. So children that are less than six years of age who become infected with the virus are most likely to develop chronic infections. So that brings us to our uh, cohort, which is infants, and 80 to 90% of infants infected in the first year of life will go on to develop chronic infections. But... There's been a vaccine against hepatitis B since 1982, and that vaccine is 95% effective in preventing infection and the development of chronic disease and liver cancer due to hepatitis B. So we, the pathways, I thought we'd just um, talk about the pathways quickly um, for those of you who aren't involved in screening. So screening in pregnancy for hepatitis B is offered and recommended. Now, I think that's a really important point is that with the infectious diseases, uh, the three diseases we screen for, which is hepatitis, HIV and syphilis, we offer and recommend this in every pregnancy and about 3000 screen positive every year. So depending on the viral load, um, women screening positive are then considered to be at lower or higher risk of transmitting that infection to the baby. So obviously women with a high viral load are deemed to be of higher risk um, of, of giving the infection. So babies of women with lower risk um, are given the um, first dose of hepatitis B monovalent in within 24 hours and the babies of higher risk are given the vaccine and then in addition they're given the hepatitis B immunoglobulin. So I've put here handover point and this little relay runner because I think when we started the project a couple of years ago this was one of the things this theme that we tried to get about this kind of handover points because there are so many people involved uh, in the in the pathway but it actually just lets me hand over to David as well so Thank you, Pat. Can I just check that someone can hear me? Is it all working? It's all working. That's fabulous. Thank you. So I'm David Green, nurse consultant for immunizations with Public Health England. Um, so once a baby is born uh, to a mother who is infected with uh, the hepatitis B virus, um, the maternity services will inform the uh, GP practice and also the uh, child, health, um, uh, child Health Informatics Services. And part of the reason why they tell them is so that the baby can be scheduled to receive the correct vaccines. So what you see in this table is on the left-hand column, age in weeks, and then the middle column is the routine childhood immunization program. So every baby um, uh, is offered um, three doses of a hepatitis B containing vaccine at eight, 12 and 16 weeks. And this is called a hexavalent vaccine, protects against six different diseases. These being diphtheria, tetanus, polio, uh, pertussis, Hib and hepatitis B. And we introduced this vaccine um, into the routine childhood immunization schedule in 2017. Now the routine program 
is going to protect those babies um, against the risk of hepatitis B should they become um, exposed to that virus at some stage in the future. The right-hand column is somewhat different. So this is the immunization schedule for babies who are born to um, hepatitis B infected mothers. And this is really, really important because these babies will have been um, exposed to a significant amount of virus um, in the um, perinatal period. Um, and so this program is unique in the routine childhood, childhood immunization program, because actually what we're doing here is we're vaccinating um, these babies against the disease to which they have already been exposed. So the timeliness of these vaccines is absolutely vital. So at birth, all babies born to hepatitis B positive mothers are going to be offered the first dose of a monovalent hepatitis B vaccine. That means it's just got hepatitis B antigen in it, uh, uh, antigen in it. it doesn't protect against anything else. If they're at particular high risk, uh, if the mum has a high viral load, then they are additionally um, uh, uh, given a hepatitis B immunoglobulin as well. They get an additional dose of uh, hepatitis B vaccine at four weeks, and then at eight, 12, and 16 weeks, they get their um, three doses of the hexavalent um, vaccine, just like all the um, babies coming through the routine program would as well. At 12 months, they're offered a final booster dose of um, monovalent hepatitis B vaccine. And in, uh, the other thing that happens at that um, uh, visit to the general practice as well is that they are tested for hepatitis B surface antigen. Now, th this again is a really, really important point. The surface antigen test doesn't look at antibodies. It's done to see whether or not the baby is infected with hepatitis B. Um, and it really, it's a test of success of this program. So have we uh, managed this baby in a way uh, and, and given the right doses of vaccines at the right time to prevent that baby um, acquiring hepatitis B from its mother at the time of birth? So you could look at this program for these uh, babies born to hepatitis B infected mothers as a form of post-exposure prophylaxis. Can I have the next slide, please? Thank you. Um, this uh, table sets out the, um, I think the timeliness is the important issue here, which is on the right-hand side of the key doses. The first three doses of hepatitis B containing vaccine are um, going to be um, vital in preventing uh, this baby or these babies um, uh, developing um, hepatitis B following the exposure to the virus at birth. Um, so we've got 92% um, of those babies um, get uh, the first dose of vaccine at birth. Um, that's pretty good, but we would like to see it a bit higher. But what you can see there is a general trend, general downwards trend in recorded um, uptake. Uh, and then by the age of 12 months, you can see there that only about two thirds of these babies are actually uh, receiving that vaccine. So. Um, this, in part, is what helped to um, drive the um, drive the need for the uh, for the quality improvement um, project and the collaborative working between the screening team, um, which is where Pat is, and the immunisation team, which is where I am. Um, so. Uh, we've jumped around slightly to um, try and keep the, the presentation going. One of the um, things that we found. 
uh, when we started examining the kind of resources that we've got available, both from the screening side and from the immunization side, um, in support of this program, one of the things we found, uh, certainly from the inside, was that we didn't really have an awful lot of information, and what little information we had was only um, available uh, in the English language. So we've done a number of different new leaflets. Um, this one that's on the slide there, uh, which is a hepatitis B, a guide to your care in pregnancy and after your baby is born, is um, uh, really a guide for those women who screened positive for hepatitis B. So you can see the middle image there um, explains um, uh, a bit about what hepatitis is and then what the implications are um, for baby. The right-hand image um, we thought was very important as well um, because it's absolutely vital that the um, woman who's given birth to uh, a baby, if she herself is infected with hepatitis B, that she understands the importance of registering um, her baby's birth and in particular prompt registration um, of her baby with a GP because four weeks after that baby is born, they need the second dose of the monovalent hepatitis B vaccine. And they also then need all, all the other um, subsequent doses from eight weeks um, onwards. Um, so we try to emphasize uh, the importance of uh, GP registration, the importance of the, um, the red book, which has a, a specific insert for babies uh, who are born to, to hepatitis B. Uh, infected mothers. Could you um, uh, bring up the next slide, please? Um, and this leaflet, uh, again, was, uh, was a new one because um, when we had a look at what resources we had, we didn't really have a specific leaflet um, for um, women um, following the birth of their baby um, if, if they were infected or if their mothers were infected with hepatitis B. Um, so when we were drawing up this leaflet, and I say we, I've got to give credit to my um, colleague um, in the IMSS team, Michelle Faulkner, who, who drew this up. Um, uh, she was uh, pivotal to this, really. Um, when we drew up this leaflet, uh, we wanted to sort of empower women to take, um, to understand and take ownership of their baby's um, accelerated uh, hepatitis B immunization schedule. So you can see that the, um, the, the, the middle image there is a page from the leaflet um, where um, either she or one of the healthcare workers caring for her and her baby can insert the dates of when the next appointments are due and when those um, vaccines are given. Um, We've also had this um, leaflet um, translated into 13 different um, languages. I scribbled them down quickly just before this presentation. Um, they've been translated um, into uh, Chinese, Polish, Romanian, Urdu, Vietnamese, uh, Albanian, Bengali, Cantonese, Farsi, Hindi, Lithuanian, um, uh, Mandarin and, and Pashto. Uh, and those languages uh, weren't picked at random. These were picked because um, these uh, reflected the, the ethnic backgrounds of the uh, women who were uh, often test positive for um, hepatitis B in pregnancy. If I could have the next slide, please. Um, and we've also um, uh, increased our um, range of uh, primary care resources, that these are resources for um, healthcare workers, um, in particular uh, midwives, health visitors and general practice nurses. Um, so we've got that left-hand image there um, is a guide for, um, for general practice and general practice nurses around um, hepatitis B. And we felt that was important because 
the total birth cohort each year in England is about um, 650 to 700,000 babies each year. Um, only 3,000 of those are born to hepatitis B infected mothers. Um, and we needed to raise the profile of, um, of these babies uh, amongst the healthcare workers that will be um, looking after them um, following discharge from midwifery services. The other thing that we've done is um, some resources, and in particular, we worked with the Royal College of Nursing um, uh, around a little, a little webinar um, uh, for, the, um, uh, for the test at 12 months of age. So there's a heel prick test, it's called DBS, which is direct blood spot. So rather than the practice having to refer baby to um, a paediatric phlebotomy service in a hospital, um, uh, the general practice can order these kits from PHE um, and um, they can do the, their own heel prick test um, on baby at 12 months of age at the same time as they're getting their 12-month um, dose of vaccine. Um, and um, this has been very successful. This has increased compliance with testing um, so that we know uh, we have a better insight as to whether or not the program has been successful. And it also allows the GP to understand if the baby is um, positive, uh, if, um, if the vaccine hasn't worked or if they haven't had sufficient doses at the right time. If you have got a hepatitis B positive baby at the age of 12 months, they can then refer that baby um, into a specialist um, paediatric service to get, the, to get the right care. So, I mean, I, I suppose what, what, uh, what I noticed most was this, um, the, the kind of drop in take up for, mm. for parents. And I, I kind of, in my mind, was wondering how we as midwives can improve that. Because some, in a way, our kind of care is much earlier than a year, for example. Yeah. Um, I, I think the key uh, role there for, for midwives is helping with the education and the understanding. Um, and that can start uh, before baby is born. So I think uh, when the when the pregnant woman, if she screens positive for hepatitis B infection in pregnancy, I think that's the right time to make sure that she understands what the implications are for her and her baby. And in particular, if we want to avoid baby acquiring hepatitis B infection perinatally, the importance the importance of the timeliness of all those vaccines and completing the course. Um, the pattern of decreasing uptake is something that we see in other programs though. So um, we know that uh, uptake of the first dose of routine vaccination eight weeks is generally higher than it is at 12 or 16 weeks when they should be coming back for second and third doses generally. So there is often a pattern of, 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 um, of, of declining uptake. But um, I, I think it, it's very, very important to try and avoid that in this programme because these babies have already been exposed to the, um, to, to the hepatitis B vaccine. Um, and potentially at birth, they have been, had really quite a substantial exposure to that, um, to, to that virus. Mm -hmm. I was just, well, I was thinking, I mean, I'm assuming <laughs> that a lot of these mums have, have been, are given text messages to remind them. Or is that a bit too techy? Um, I, I think it will vary. So it's probably done by um, letter. Um, but some GP practices do use text messages. Um, I keep, I've been bombarded recently with text messages <laughs> telling me to go and get my flu vaccine because I'm over 50, but I've already had it thanks to, um, thanks to PHE. Um, but um, I, I think 
um, any and all communication um, methods um, have um, have their uh, validity in this program. Um, most of it, I think, will be done by by individual letters. But um, yeah, um, if that can be enhanced with a text message to um, uh, from the practice to the um, to, to the mother, that would be fabulous. Mm. I suppose we have to take on all of this uh, more techie mantle. I, I mean, I did have one question mm -hmm. uh, from Deborah, and I know we've got we've got Pat coming back. While I've asked the question and she's settling, uh, from Deborah, she's saying, "Do you think the decline in uptake is down to lack of the explanation and own language information?" It, I, I think that could well be part of it, actually, um, and um, the. Uh, Hepatitis B is a, is a disease of global concern yeah. and um, a significant proportion of the uh, cases of hepatitis B that we see in this country are where babies are being born to mothers who uh, either maybe weren't born in this country um, uh, and perhaps they're immigrants or maybe they are the, the daughters of, of, of immigrants. So. The language issue, I think, is, is is very, very important indeed, and I think that's reflected um, in in some of the, um, the the translated leaflets that we've that we've now got. But no, I I, I totally agree. Um, much of what we need to do to improve compliance with vaccine uptake, I think, is around communications, and that's yeah. sometimes communications at handover between different healthcare workers. And we haven't actually mentioned um, health visitors because they have an important role in um, educating and promoting these vaccines as well, but also making sure that we're communicating in a language that the, uh, the mother of the baby can understand as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, David. I'm not sure if Pat is back. Yes, I'm. Yes, I am back. I do apologise. I have <laughs> no, no idea back. what happened there. Okay, so basically, um, why was the project needed? So um, the we there was a pregnancy uh, hepatitis B in pregnancy audit done in 2013-14, where um, Dr. Heather Bailey from UCL just uh, contacted every trust in the UK and did quite a deep dive into all the cases. So we obviously have standards data as well, which is um, returns on you know the um, uptake of uh, um, of hepatitis B screening, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these things, just all of these different things demonstrated an evidence of numerous incidents across the screening and immunization pathways, including missed screening, obviously, um, HB, the, the immunoglobulin not given, lost, not ordered, vaccinations not given, primary care not notified, uh, poor MDT working. And just coming in on exactly the question that was being raised when I when I came back in was about health inequalities that this is a vulnerable population um, often from ethnic minorities uh, immigrants asylum seekers women with poor English etc and there's very and um, one of the things that is very obvious with hepatitis B is there's no charitable voice either uh, for hepatitis B thank you for the next slide thank you next slide thank you hello Oh, sorry. I do beg your pardon. I, think, I thought it was moving on my computer. Um, <laughs> so really, the, the, <laughs> the project aim really was to enable gold standard care in line with HIV. Now, in maternity services, HIV is now, uh, you know, for want of a better word, mainstream. It's seamless. It, everybody uh, knows all about it and very little goes wrong in it. And we really wanted to try and get hepatitis online with that. So obviously to reduce the incidence, 
Um, and to enable parents to make informed choices, and again, going back to that conversation that's happened when I came back in, I was, uh, as Sue kindly said in my introduction, I came from a trust that had a really, really good public health team. And when I came into the project, I realised that actually that I'm not sure that we did talk to a lot of par about parents about what when happened when the, going forward about birth registration and going to the GP, etc. So that was a really big part of the project was to enable parents to make informed choices, to get better multidisciplinary working, and very importantly, to improve the surveillance of the virus in mothers and babies. Um, because I think, as you said, that David said, that when we do the surface antigen testing at 12 months, that will tell us whether the baby is infected. What it won't tell us is when that happens, whether that's down to the baby being infected during the pregnancy, at the time of birth, or whether it's vaccine failure. And increasing public awareness and knowledge. Next slide, thank you. So um, but the project work streams really were just to kind of look at the policies and guidelines. Um, sorry, I've gone to the wrong one. Um, so we really, the project team was massive, as you can say, as you can see. Um, there was ourselves, the National Infectious Diseases and Pregnancy Screening Programme, the immunisation team, the virus reference department. I've learned so much from a very clever scientist called Dr. Samreen Ujaz. The health protection teams. And obviously we involved clinicians and stakeholders. We have a really fantastic um, expert group of midwives and nurses who we run everything by. Um, and I, I just like that little slide that said the agenda for the meeting was to find out why we were having the meeting um, when you have so many people around the table. Um, so the work streams really were to look at the policies and guidelines, um, to look at the pathways. We're on slide 11, sorry, Catherine. Um, to look at the policies and guidelines, to look at the pathways, to look at the gaps in the pathways, obviously to try and look at this surveillance to get a better idea of what the virus is doing. Uh, training and education, of course, is a big part of that and to roll that out and obviously communicating the communications around it and very importantly, the patient information. So what did we do? So next slide, please. Um, so we wrote this tome of called the step-by-step -step guidance. It's about 70 pages, but it is a massive multidisciplinary um, thing that we all sat down for, well, it took two years to write. And it literally is a step-by-step -step guidance to screening right down to that 12-month blood test. Uh, information on obviously the clinical picture and transmission of hepatitis B, the global elimination strategy, surveillance of the virus, screening and care in pregnancy of women and their babies, women who decline testing. And that's an interesting group because we do have a fairly consistent little group of women who decline testing in certain parts of the country, which is interesting. And at the moment, we're in the process of doing quite a deep dive into that to find out whether that's about a lack of information, about you know uh, attitudes to testing, etc. Obviously, the immunisation schedule, and um, uh, there's a quite a big piece in there from the Oxford group around um, dealing with um, people who decline vaccination as well as testing, and obviously around the mixed um, uh, missed vaccinations. So next slide, please. So um, the pathways, um, as I said, they look a bit busy, but um, what I just wanted to demonstrate to you was that what we did was we actually, the we've got the generic screening pathway, which is obviously just, you know, the routine generic screening pathway, but we took out the hepatitis B bit and we split it, split it into lower and higher infectivity. 
Um, because one of the things that came out of the incidents was that there was certainly confusion around that, about women with low infectivity and women with high infectivity, who was towards the immunoglobulin, where was it stored, all of that sort of thing. So we took it out and split it all up. And then we've got the neonatal schedule as well. And and it's about this joined up working, this this collaborative working on the pathways. Next slide, please. Um, so I just grabbed a, slide, a, shot, a shot of one of the parts of the um, pathway just to demonstrate to you what we did was we, we literally have made it every as simple as possible so that every step is explained and we've split it into um, actions and information all the way through the pathways. Um, so that's just a really, um, that one is just a, a demonstration of what happens on delivery suite about the third trimester review. What we've tried to introduce is a lot more with the midwives uh, care is a lot more talking about the vaccination schedule, talking about registering the baby with the GP, talking about registering the birth um, and the importance of the vaccination schedule. So we've introduced this third trimester review, hopefully, um, that, that, that will all be checked over. So next slide, please. So what did they tell us? That basically the pathways will tell us um, about who, who does it, defining the roles and responsibilities, ensuring that seamless handover care, our little relay man here, when that happens, what you need uh, to provide that care and why, the evidence and safety and standards. Thank you. Um, a little slide on violent surveillance, which I won't go into too much. But um, this is very important to us as part of the project is to try and get a grip on what's happening with this virus and is it evolving, is it mutating? So we've introduced this, uh, all women screening positive for hepatitis B will now have a screening sample sent to PHE Collindale to the virus reference department at the beginning of the pregnancy uh, so that uh, Dr. Rajaz and her team can have a good look at it then. But with the higher infectivity only at the moment, we'll then take another sample from the mother at baby and at, at delivery, just to have a look and see what that virus looks like at that precise moment. And then in with that 12 month sample, we can see you, hopefully you can see that we're going to get a really good view of what that virus is, is, is doing. Next slide, please. Um, I think David's spoken about the leaflets. Uh, yep. Oh, yep, that's great. It's straight to 20. That's lovely. Thank you. So, um, so we've done a lot around education. We've got amazing new IDPS, infectious diseases in pregnancy e-learning package coming out. It's probably going to go live at the end of the month. So you need to go to the e-learning for health, which obviously most of you will all be attached to. We also have a screening blog, um, and that's coming out on Friday, hopefully, which will give all the links to the uh, various resources that we've discussed this morning. We've got a couple of had a couple of articles in the RCM magazine around uh, protecting babies and saving lives. So there's a lot of stuff out there, hopefully. Um, so the timescale is that uh, we are literally this week, it's been a busy week, we're going live with everything. And if you go on to gov.uk, look up infectious diseases in pregnancy and hepatitis, it should take you to a collection page which should show you all of those resources um, uh, in, uh, on all the links to them. And then for the next couple of months, hopefully the plan is we've asked um, trusts to um, uh, review their policies and guidelines just to have a look and see a kind of a gap analysis and see if there's any particular spaces. I've done, I did 18 sessions uh, online last month with screening coordinators and cheers and clinicians. So hopefully that's well. And then on April the 1st, all women screening positive for hepatitis B will convince this improved pathway. Next slide, please. Thank you. 
so sorry that was all a bit out of order, but I hope you got the message. It's been an amazing piece of work to finish my career on, I have to say, working with uh, such a collaboration and such great people at Immunisation and at Virus Reference. So if, and mostly to anything queries, is best to go through the screening help desk because they will direct you to the right people. So that's the PHE screening help desk and that's anything around the screening programs. And obviously, uh, David and I, that's our contact details. And thank you so much. And sorry for my technical difficulties. <laughs> no, thank you very much, Pat. And thank you for coping with the IT issue. It's a major problem, you know, for, and we're, we rely on this so much. But thank you for dialing in and taking us through those extra slides. And for David, for because uh, I think it came through all the activity and work. It's a massive project. What I would say to the audience is in the next break, guess what? There's a meet the expert session with um, Pat and David answering questions and you can get lots of information. I think one of our people who asked a question, Deborah, if you go there, you'll be able to get resources and, and they, they can send that out to you. And I think that um, new publication looks as though it's going to be a sort of essential kind of bible for each trust so thank you for sharing that it's really helpful thank you for joining us for the maternity and midwifery hour this podcast has been made possible by the team at maternity and midwifery forum and our cpd partners matflix you can sign up at matflix.co.uk This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.